Thanks for joining us here at Thrive Church. We're a church passionate about moving people towards Jesus. For more information, go to our website, www.thrivechurch.co.za. Well, today is the start of an Advent uh, series. This Sunday, the 2nd of December, kicks off and sees the start of Advent in, our, in the life of the Christian calendar. Traditionally, in church life, we light candles starting for the fir- on the first Sunday of Advent. Advent means coming. It's from the Latin word adventus, meaning coming. Advent is the season where as Christians we look forward to Christ's coming, where we prepare our hearts and minds for His coming. It's a season of preparation. It's a season of anticipation. It's a season where we look to His coming. It's a season when we remind ourselves that Jesus' coming was three-dimensional, First, he came as a child, as a baby. He broke into our world 2,000 and something years ago. But of course, he didn't just come as a child. He comes to us every day by the power of his spirit. He comes to our lives all the time, doesn't he? Every day we sense his coming if we will be open to it. And then, of course, we look forward to his future coming one day when he will be coming back for his church. So in the season of Advent, traditionally starting the first Sunday closest to the 30th of November, we light candles, one candle for every week to signify hope, love, joy, peace, and on Christmas, we light the fifth candle, signifying and reminding us, He has come. May we in Boxburg in 2018, in the midst of the difficulty of the busyness and the craziness of this season, may we stop daily to think to consider His coming. Even if you're not in the malls and if you're shopping on Take-A-Lot, anybody who loves Take-A-Lot, give me a wave. Even if it's that kind of shopping, would you stop? Would you pause? And would you think about His coming? This morning being the first Sunday of Advent, we kick off the Advent, this Advent series, it's called Here Comes Heaven. Of course, because we remind ourselves that heaven was not simply about the Father, or not simply about Jesus. It's about the Father, it's about the Son, it's about the Holy, it's about the great mystery of the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, all of whom were involved in the sending of Christ to break into our world. 
Christmas is not just about Jesus. It's about the Father orchestrating it. It's about the Spirit enabling it. It's about the Son's obedience. So welcome to Advent, everybody. The series called Here Comes Heaven. It's going to be, it's going to be beautiful. Come with me to John chapter 14 this morning, verses 1 through to 11. Jesus is speaking to his disciples, and he says this. He says, don't let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God and trust also in me. There's more than enough room in my father's home. If this were not so, would I have told you that I'm going to prepare a place for you? When everything's ready, I'll come and get you so that you'll always be with me where I am. And you know the way to where I'm going. Here's Thomas, a little bit doff. No, we don't, Lord. Thomas said, we have no idea where you're going, so how can we know the way? Jesus told him, here you go. I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one can come to the Father except through me. If you'd really known me, you would know who my Father is. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. Here's Philip, also a bit doff. Lord, show us the Father, and we will be satisfied. Jesus replied. He's like, oh, can you picture the weariness in his voice here? Have I been with you all this time, Philip? And yet you still don't know who I am. Anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. So why are you asking me to show him to you? Don't you believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words I speak are not my own, but my Father who lives in me does his work through me. We'll end it there. This crucial passage, church, reveals one of the great reasons why Christ came. The one of those cosmic amazing, incredible reasons why Jesus came was so that you and I could know the Father. That's one of the primary reasons why He came, so that He could show us the Father. Jesus came so we could know the Father. So the question then becomes, well, who is the Father? Who is God? It's a question that still demands an answer in our lives. Who are you, God? God was actually asked that very same question in Exodus chapter 3. He was asked by a man called Moses. Moses was in an an encounter with God. There was a, God had come to him in what's called a theophany, like a a, a picture of God, like an experience of God, a coming of God through this burning bush. And God was about to reveal his plan to Moses for the liberation of his people who were stuck in Egypt. And in this encounter, Moses says to him, God, Tell me your name. Who are you? Exodus chapter 3. Let's go to it. Moses protested. He said, if I go to the people of Israel and I tell them the God of your ancestors has sent me to you, they'll ask me, what's his name? Then what should I tell them? God replied to Moses, I am who I am. It's his name. It's a bit of a weird name. We'll unpack it just now. He says, say this to the people of Israel. I am has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, say this to the people of Israel, Yahweh, the God of your ancestors, the God of Abraham, God of Isaac, the God of Jacob has sent me to you. Watch, and then here's the deal. This is my eternal name, my name to remember for all generations. In the Old Testament, a person's name meant a lot. Abraham meant father of many or father of nations. Eve meant living one. She was, of course, the mother of every living being. Jesus means Savior. 
So when Moses asks God, what's your name? He's asking him, who are you? You see, a name was indicative of character. A name described character. So Moses, by his question, God, who are you? He's asking, tell me what you're like. Tell me who you are. It's a question that's still on our minds and hearts, isn't it? God, who are you really? Maybe for you, God's a cosmic cop. You know, maybe you grew up in a religious environment or a religious church, or maybe your parents were very strict, and, uh, and, and God is a cosmic cop. He's just waiting around the bush in his J, uh, EMPD vehicle. <laughs> just this week, I got a fine 500 bucks. Not stopping at a stop street. Don't judge me, you bunch of... <laughs> and he goes, he goes, 500. I said, what's this for? He goes, not stopping at the stop street. I go, okay, hand it over. He gives it to me. He goes, but a plan can be made. <laughs> now, I'm not going to ask who would have, yeah, who would have taken the plan? Just look straight ahead. Can see the, the dodgy bank over here. They definitely would have taken the money. That's like very dodgy. I said to him, I don't, I don't know what plan you're talking about, but I don't want any part of your plan. Are you with me? Because it starts with 500 bucks and then it ends up with the tax man and all that sort of stuff, eh? Maybe God's like a cosmic cop. Maybe he's like a universal killjoy. Anything that resembles fun. When you were growing up, no, you can't do that. You can't dance. You can't watch movies. You can't watch anything on TV. What's it? You can't watch Smurfs. You can't watch Ninja Turtles. You can't watch Thundercats. You can't watch The Sound of Music. Maybe God was a cosmic children. Maybe God's just irrelevant. Maybe somebody brought you to church today and you like, God's irrelevant. Like, what do I need God for? I go to work, I earn money, I come home, I have a wife and kids. Like, honestly, what do I need God for? Maybe God's distant. Feels distant to you today. But when Moses asks God, who are you? And God replies, I am who I am. There's something very significant about this exchange that's going on here. Because in Exodus 3, this exchange with God giving his name to Moses, he uses I am who I am and he uses Yahweh and he uses them interchangeably. Yahweh is the Jewish name for, for God, the name he gave himself, Y-H-W-H, four letters. It's not supposed to be pronounced. Jewish people don't pronounce the name of God because it's too holy to utter off their lips. So we use the vowels, we've inserted the vowels so that we can kind of say Yahweh. But do you know that scholars are still trying to figure out how this word Y-H-W-H is pronounced because around 300 AD, the oral tradition of, of keeping a record of how this name was pronounced actually died out. So no Jew or rabbi or scholar to this day could tell you how to say the name of God properly. So we say Yahweh because it kind of helps for our English. But he uses Yahweh and I am who I am. He uses them interchangeably. He uses them so we can understand his name a little bit better. 
God, when He says, I am who I am, and then He goes, Yahweh, He helps us. Let me tell you why. Because Yahweh gives us a few clues to who He is. The reason I say that is because His name tells us, it reminds us that God is a personal God. The reason I know that is because in Psalm 19, the first six verses, God is described, but He's described as Elohim. He's described in terms of his relationship with the material world. But then in verse 7, the psalmist changes angles and all of a sudden he begins to describe him as Yahweh. Yahweh. Because he's describing his personal relationship with people now. When you see Yahweh, you know God is revealing his personal name. The name by which is characterized his personal interactions with you and I as people. When you see Elohim, for example, Lord, or other names for God, it's to describe his greatness and his majesty. But when you see Yahweh, it's relationship, it's friendship, it's, it's a two-wayness. Are you with me? God is so personal. Maybe this morning you came to church wondering if God ever sees you or hears you. I want to tell you, He's so personal. I was reading a story about a blind girl. This blind girl hated the world. She hated herself. She hated everybody else except this boyfriend that she had. And she said to herself, I will marry this man. If only I could see, if only I could see, if I could have eyesight, I would, I would marry this man. He was desperate to marry her. A few months later, this girl gets news from the doctors. They say, we have a set of eyes that have been donated for you. We can do an organ transplant. They go ahead and they do it. And for the first time in her life, this young lady can see. And as she sees for the first time, she sees that her boyfriend is blind. And she says, I could never marry a blind man. And she rejects him, casts him aside. And months later, he's able, once he's found himself again, he's able to write to her. And it's all he can do. He can't speak to her. He just writes to her. He says, my dear, my love, if you would just promise me one thing, that you will take care of my eyes. You see, she'd given, she'd been given his eyes. I thought about that story and thought, isn't that how personal God is with us? That He not only enters our story, but He gives of Himself into our lives. Are you with me? He's so personal. When Moses hears the name Yahweh, it not only reminds him that He's personal, reminds him that he's the covenant-keeping, promise-keeping God. What's so important to know is that Abraham, when he received the promises and the covenant of God centuries before this, when God came to Abraham and said, Abraham, I'm going to make a covenant with you. I'm going to make a, a promise to you that you will be the father of many nations. The name Yahweh was used. But Exodus 3 is the first time 
that God uses this name himself to reveal himself and his name to others. And so although Yahweh was used to describe God's personal uh, interaction and his covenant with Abraham, it's the first time in this exchange that God uses his own name. And so Moses is reminded when he hears Yahweh, he's reminded of the Abrahamic covenant. He's reminded that Abraham received the same name when that, that covenant was made. And so Moses' mind is taken back to covenant, to promise. He's reminded when he hears God using that name, he's like, oh God, you're the great promise keeper. You might say, well, what promises has he given? In the Old Testament, God promised to bless Abraham through his descendants and the whole world through them. God promised Israel to be their God. God promised that if we search for him, we can find him. God promised protection for his children and his nation. God promised that his love would never fail. God promised Israel that their sin could be forgiven. In the New Testament, God promised salvation to all who believe in his son. God promised that all things work together for those who love him and are called according to his purpose. God promised comfort in our trials. God promised new life in Christ. God promised every spiritual blessing in Christ Jesus. Anytime you want to respond to the promises of God, go for it. God promised to finish the work he had started in us. God promised peace to those of us when we pray. God promised to supply our needs. God promised rest to us. God promised abundant life for us. God promised eternal life to those who trust in him. God promised to hold us securely. God promised his disciples power from on high. God promised that he would return for us. He promises us. Those promises will be up on the blog section of our website on Tuesday if you want to grab a hold of those. He's a promise-making and promise-keeping God. When you see Yahweh, you need to know not only is He personal, not only is He the personal God, He's the promise-keeping God. This Advent season, download those promises from this website. Grab hold of them. Look at them. Bask in them. Enjoy them. Rest in them. He's a promise-keeping God. I'm not sure what promise you might be holding on to this morning or what it is you might be needing from the God who keeps His promise. But I am wanting to remind you that He's a promise-keeping God. When we see Yahweh, when we see this I am who I am, when we see this mysterious name, that God gives himself, it reminds us that he's perfect. It's such a strange name, isn't it? I am who I am. I thought, what a weird way to describe yourself. There is no other way God could have described himself because he, he can't reference himself with reference to any man or any creation because he created it. So God is not referenceable by anything in this world. Or in this universe, he couldn't say, I am the guy who's like the stars. He couldn't say, I'm, a, I'm like the cosmos. 
He couldn't say, I'm like creation, because he stands apart from it. He stands aside from it. He stands separate to it. It speaks to the pre-existence of God. It speaks to his glory. It speaks to his wonder. It speaks to his separateness. It speaks to the fact that he's quite aside from us. He's quite unlike us. In Psalm 50, the psalmist was rebuked. God said to him, you think that I'm like you, but I'm not like you. But the wonder of the gospel is this, that though he's quite aside from us, though he's holy and he's separate from us, though he stands aside from me in my mess, he still enters my mess. He still comes to us. This Advent, the great miracle of the gospel is that you would know that he's not only personal and that he's promise-keeping, but that he's perfect, holy, separate. You see, our theology teaches us, our society rather, teaches us vending machine theology. What's vending machine? Pop in a prayer and God will give you an answer you like. Pop in five bucks, you know, when you kick the vending machine because it's not working. And then, oh, it comes out. If we're not careful, we'll buy into a culture that says God's a vending machine. Available, ready for our every desire, every whim, and every prayer that we might pop in. Yahweh, I am who I am, reminds us that he stands aside from us. He stands separate from us. He stands distinct from us. He's eternally pre-existent. He's completely self-sufficient. He needs no man or no thing with which to dwell. He simply is. This Advent, would you remember that he's not like us? C.S. Lewis wrote, would you really want a God you can understand? And yet the gospel is that he comes and he walks across the cosmos into our world. I was reading the story about a six-year-old little boy called Daniel. One Saturday morning, Daniel decides he's going to make pancakes for his parents. He finds this big bowl and a big spoon and he begins to get them all out. Then he stands on the chair and he stands on the chair and reaches up into the cupboards. And as he does so, he reaches for the flower and the flower falls and smashes all over the ground. And now the floor is filled with flower and there's this, just a, a big white cloud of flour. He begins to walk in it, not quite sure what to do, and now he's putting little flowery footprints all over the kitchen. He scoops some of the flour up with his hands as much as he can get, puts it into the bowl, adds some milk and some butter and some sugar, and begins to mix it, and he's covered in flour. He makes this mix, and He's not quite sure what to do with the mix now. He doesn't know, does it go in the oven or do you do it on the pan, on the, on the stove? And just as he's trying to figure this out, he looks to his side, he sees his kitten busy licking his mixture. And he reaches over and tries to push the kitten away, but as he does so, he pushes 12 eggs onto the floor. And now the floor has flour and eggs and little six-year-old Daniel footprints. And by now... He's trying to clean up the mess that he's made. 
and his pajamas are filled with mixture and eggs and flour. And just then he sees his dad standing at the door. He's quite sure his father's going to scold him or definitely give him a hiding. And big tears well up in his eyes and they begin to stream down his cheeks as he stands facing his father with his little knees quaking, wondering what his father's going to say of the mess that he's made. But the father began to walk. He began to walk across the kitchen floor filled with flour and eggs and half-baked pancake mixture. And he got to his son and he picked his son up and he embraced him and he pulled him close. And now the father's pajamas were covered in flour, eggs and pancake mixture. And he just held his crying son. Little Daniel so badly wanted to make something good for his mom and dad and ended up making a mess. Sometimes we try to do something good in life and it turns into a mess. Our marriage goes all sticky. We insult a friend and that relationship ends. We can't stand our job. We hate our boss. If the boss is sitting with you right now, just look straight ahead. (laughs) Or our health goes sour. And sometimes we just stand there in tears because we can't think of anything else to do. And that's when God picks us up wraps his arms around us and reminds us that he loves us. That's the miracle of the gospel. That though he is separate from, though he's not us, he's he's our father. He walks across the cosmic kitchen to fetch us. I was wondering what visual I could use for this week one of Advent to give you a picture of what the Father is like. And I read an incredible story about a pastor with a birdcage. Now those of you who have ADD in the church, you know who you are. (laughs) The worship team's gonna come up and I'm gonna tell you a story about the birdcage. Can you do both? This pastor walks into church one day, he puts the birdcage down on the stage, and he proceeds to preach a five-minute sermon on the birdcage, and then he leaves the stage. How many of you would would like a five-minute sermon? Tells the story, he says, church, just yesterday I was walking through our town. And I came across two boys with three little birds in a birdcage. I said to them, hey boys, what you got there? They said, oh, we just got some silly old field birds. Brown, boring, ugly old field birds. He says, hey, what you going to do with them? The boys said, well, we're going to pluck their feathers out. We're going to have fun and sport with them. We're going to pluck their feathers out. And then we're going to make them fight and we're going to enjoy watching it. Pastor goes, sheesh. 
says, what are you going to do when that's finished? Because that's only going to amuse you so long. They said, then we're going to pull the birds apart, wing by wing and leg by leg and head by head, and then we're going to feed it to our cat. The pastor says, this is, he's horrified. He says, how much for your birds, boys? They said, oh, mister, you don't want these birds. These are just brown, boring, ugly field birds. They don't sing. They don't bring you joy to look at them. They're just stupid old field birds. You don't want those birds. Pastor said, how much for your birds? They looked at each other. They said about 100 bucks. He pulled out 100 rand and he gave it to the boys and they ran off into the distance giving each other high fives. The pastor picked up his cage walked to the nearest field that he could find, opened the gate, and let the birds free. One day, Jesus and Satan were having a conversation. Jesus said, hey, Satan, where have you been? She'd been roaming to and fro the earth, Messing with people. He said, what you been doing to the people? He said, oh, I've been teaching them to hate each other. Been teaching them to get married and then divorced. Been teaching them to make guns and bombs and nuclear weapons. Been teaching them to hurt and harm and hate each other. Jesus said to Satan, what are you going to do when that's done? Satan said, then I'm going to kill them. Jesus said to Satan, how much for the people? Satan said, oh, you don't want to worry about these people. They'll spit on you and they'll mock you and they'll put a crown of thorns on you and they'll flog you half to death and then they'll put you on a cross and execute you and they'll divide your clothes amongst themselves. You don't want these people. Jesus said to Satan, how much for the people? Satan said, okay, Jesus, if you really want them, then I want all your tears and all your blood. And so Jesus said, you've got a deal. All my tears and all my blood for you and for me. And that is why we celebrate, commemorate, and prepare our hearts in this Advent season. That all the blood and all the tears of heaven were spent for you and for me. So that we could have a new start. So that we could be free. This message was recorded live at Thrive Church. We hope that it inspired you to move towards Jesus.